0: Good morning the scripture this morning is from John 2 verses 1 through 11 on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding when the wine gave out the mother of Jesus said to him they have no wine and Jesus said to her woman what concern is that to me and to you my hour has not yet come his mother said to the servants do whatever he tells you And now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the person in charge of the banquet. So they took it. When the person in charge tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who drew the water knew, That person called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk, but you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Nancy.
1: Good morning. It's good to see you. It's funny to sit there and not turn around, so you're here and it's cold outside, so this is terrific to all of you. Welcome. I wonder if you'd bow your heads and pray for me and with me this morning. <clears throat> Holy God, it is good to be here. It is good to gather with a community of Christ, people that are hungry to figure out what is it that you call us to do Where do you point us to? How can we encounter you in our lives? And I pray now, God, that you would take the words that I have prepared and make them yours. Because if you are present, then we will learn and we will grow. Open our hearts and minds, I pray. I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. I have never been one for following signs. I'm not a great sign follower. I get lost often on the road because I'm too busy talking and I don't pay attention to the signs. And I'm just, I'm just like, why bother? You're gonna get there anyway. So I find them a little bit annoying at times. And, and this, I discovered this years ago. I was about, I think I was 13 years old. And I was a candy striper in a hospital. Does anybody know what a candy striper is? Many of you do. It's someone who volunteers in the hospital when you're young because you might want to work in a hospital. I didn't, but my best friend Amy did, and I wanted to wear the little apron and the cute hat, and so I went with her, and we were volunteers in the hospital, candy striper volunteers. We were going to bring sunshine and joy to all the patients that we encountered. And our job was to do whatever the nurses told us to do. So we would get pitchers of water and ice, and we would bring pudding and things like that to the patients. But if we were really lucky, if we were super lucky, they would, the nurse would say, here's an errand I need you to run. And so one day, I got a manila envelope, and the nurse said, this is really easy, all you have to do is take this to medical records. It's in the basement, just follow the signs. All I heard was, easy in basement. And so I took it and I was very excited and I get on an elevator and I go down a few levels and then I go on an escalator. Hospitals are complicated. If you've not been in a hospital, they are terribly complicated to follow. And then I finally get on the last elevator and I push the very bottom button without reading anything along the way and I go down and I get off the elevator into the darkest, creepiest basement you've ever seen. It is dark, I I feel like there was fog, there wasn't, but I feel like there should have been, and there were sounds, you know, the boiler, the workings of the hospital is going, and the, um, the, the heating, the HVAC system is working, and then I hear the elevator doors close behind me, and the elevator creaks its way back up to sunshine and the upper levels, and I hear footsteps, and it's dark, and it's creepy. And I remember in my head, the nurse said, follow the signs. And so I looked for signs, and there were two. And one of the signs said, boiler room, this way. And the other sign said, morgue, this way. And I'm 13, and I am convinced I am about to be murdered in the boiler room and my body will be hidden in the morgue for the rest of eternity. And there's the person coming around the corner, right? Very nice man comes around the corner. He could see I was lost, and he said, let me help you get back. And so he gets the elevator to come back. He holds it open, and he points to the sign in the elevator that says medical records with a big button beside it. He said, just push this button. And that's when I realized signs are super important. You've got to follow the signs. Some signs are complicated. Like you're in a hospital, there are complicated signs. There's all sorts of places to go. You don't know what they are. But if you take the time to read the sign, you're going to get where you need to go. Some signs are crystal clear. Alexis found this one. (laughs) Wouldn't that be great if all the signs were like that? But they're not. Jesus was someone who used signs to point the way. You heard Nancy read from the Gospel of John. I think John is a fascinating gospel. All of them are, but but John is one of my favorite. You know, there's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those are the first three gospels. And then there's John. It's a little bit different than the other gospels. And in the Gospel of John, here's the interesting thing to take home today. In the Gospel of John, John never calls miracles, miracles. He calls them signs signs. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's all about the miracle. John uses the word sign to talk about the miracles. Why does he do this? Because John understands that while the miracle itself is amazing, water into wine at a party, that's fascinating, but that's not what we're supposed to look at. The miracle is great, but what is the miracle pointing us to? What does the sign mean? And at this party, in Cana of Galilee, we see the first sign. It's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. There's a, a scripture I wanted you to read this. This is from the text that you just heard. Would you read this with me? Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee. So much is going to happen, so much is going to happen. Miracles are great, but the signs point us to the deeper truth about Jesus. Well, we're in this new sermon series, as you know, it's called um, Show Me Jesus. Show Me Jesus, I love the graphic that we have here. Last week, Gina preached about enduring, what is Jesus is enduring, and what does it mean that Jesus is enduring? She took us to the waters of baptism, to the very banks of the Jordan River, when Jesus comes, and John the Baptist, Baptist baptizes him in the water. and if you recall, the heavens opened up, there's sunshine and there's water, and there the heavens and, of dove comes down, and some people heard, "God say, "This is my beloved son." It's remarkable. And in that story, in that beautiful text, we see the enduring nature of Jesus' love between Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is enduring. Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River. And later on, later on towards the end of his ministry on earth, he tells his disciples, go and baptize everyone. Go and baptize everyone because here's what Jesus understood Baptism is what we call a sign act. It is a a sign of who we are to be and what we can become. It is an action that we take in order to point us to God's love. So Jesus, this enduring love of Jesus, baptism is this sign of who we can become. It's a sign that points us to God's love Gina's word last week was enduring. My word this week is a little bit different. I think it's a little bit of a more challenging word. I just, I don't want to lay the gauntlet down, but, but it is a word and here it is. Revolutionary, revolutionary. Revolutionary does not paint a picture of peaceful sunshine and doves and, and all that lovely thing. It, it makes us think of war and it makes us think of conflict and it makes us think of some really difficult things. Revolutionary can be a loaded term. So I went to the dictionary, as as you do when you're starting, and, and here, look at this definition. Revolutionary, involving or causing a complete or dramatic change. Think about Jesus. Involving or causing a complete or dramatic change. A revolutionary is a radical change agent someone who challenges the status quo. So, was Jesus a revolutionary? Absolutely, thank you. Yes, Jesus was a revolutionary. Revolutionary people are willing to upset the current order to achieve their goals. They want to turn things around. And so here we are in Cana of Galilee, at the story in this Gospel of John, and Jesus is standing on the edge of everything. Everything is about to begin right now. Up to now, he's been preparing, right? He gathered his disciples. He's been baptized. He spent time in the wilderness thinking about all that is to come. And now he's at a party, a wedding party. And his disciples are there and his mother is there. And we don't know, perhaps there was other family there. But they've all gathered and it's all about to happen. You probably know that in Jesus' time, weddings lasted at least a week. They weren't a a couple hours in one night at at the Hyatt. It was a week-long event, a week of dancing and eating and drinking and talking. And the host that was in charge of it began by serving the best wine at the beginning. Now remember, in Jesus' time, everybody drank wine. So the host would start out with the best wine. You can figure out why. People were tasting it then. Later on, they were beyond tasting it. They, they, the host started serving the box wine after that. (laughs) But at this wedding, the host had miscalculated and is running out of everything. And it's a disaster in the making. It would mean the family would lose face in the community. It was a terrible way for a young couple to begin their married life together. But luckily there is a hero present that they are not aware of. Jesus is about to use the lack of wine as a sign. The revolution that Jesus is creating in the world, it begins here. At Cana of Galilee. Everything's been preparing. Everything is ready to happen. But it hasn't officially launched. But it's about to. Now, it's odd to think of wine as a sign of revolution. But remember that the wine is simply a sign that made sense at the time. Jesus is trying to tell us that life can be richer, life can be more, life can be vibrant. He wanted people to know that the best is available to them. Jesus knows life can be more than it is. Jesus wants people to know that they are worthy and they deserve the best. So he turns this water into wine. Let me give you another example, one that made a little more sense to me. When I was a little girl, my grandmother made chocolate cake. It was the best chocolate cake in the world. It was rich and it was creamy and it was moist and the, the, the frosting was this, this dark heavenly taste of whatever I don't know I don't even know how she did it but she would make the chocolate cake and the best thing about it is after she made it and after she got it frosted when it was just cool enough to eat she would say let's have a piece right now It didn't matter if it was nine in the morning or three in the afternoon we were going to have a piece of that chocolate cake and she would cut two pieces of cake and she'd put them on the table cold milk we'd sit down and we would eat the cake and every single time it was amazing And then when we finished the cake, you know what she would say? Let's have another. (laughs) It's never going to be better than now. And I would say, yes, please. And we would eat that chocolate cake. Some, um, I must have been about eight years old, I guess, and my family was going out to dinner. We went to a very high-class place. It's called Sizzlin' Steakhouse. And it was all you can eat, right? And at the buffet table, I'm, I'm eight. At the buffet table, there is this plethora of desserts, and my dad says, you can have whatever you want. I was like, wow, they had chocolate cake. So I took the biggest piece of chocolate cake that was there because I was greedy, and I sat down, and I I took my first bite of chocolate cake, and I was so disappointed because it was terrible. It wasn't even worthy to be called chocolate cake. It was nothing like my grandmother's chocolate cake because my grandmother used the best of everything. She took the time to make it. She made it with such love and such devotion and the cake would just melt in your mouth. The point is, Jesus offers us the best. Jesus wants us to know the best of everything. Like my grandmother, Jesus didn't cut corners, Jesus is never stingy. The cake was a sign of my grandmother's love. Everything Jesus touches is better than we can do. If Jesus had turned water into chocolate cake, it would have surpassed my grandmother's. Jesus loves us with unsurpassing love. And if he can turn water into wine, imagine what he can do with us if we will allow him to change us. Have you ever had someone who helped you change? Have you ever had an experience where you had a habit that you couldn't break and somebody came along beside you and said, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to help you change this. Have you ever needed to talk to someone and you didn't know how to do it and and somebody came along and said, I can help you with that? Have you ever been so lost that you couldn't figure out the direction that you needed to go and someone came along and said, I'm here to help you do that? That's what Jesus wants to do. The revolution that Jesus brings is not a revolution with army and spears and war and violence. Jesus brings a revolution of love into the world. We are like vast, ordinary containers of water that are ripe for a miracle. We can be changed. And the way to step into the future that that Jesus longs for us to have is to pay attention to the signs along the way sometimes physically and metaphorically. There's a man in our congregation who told me I could share his story with you. Years ago, he was um, someone who who was in a hopeless place. He felt really desperate. He had made some poor investments with his money. He had done things that he shouldn't have done with the money, and, and he had lost literally everything. He was deeply in debt. His wife had left. He didn't know what to do. Nearly every day he drove by our church, going to, he had multiple jobs he was trying to keep up. He would drive by the church, and one Sunday, one Sunday, he's driving by the church, and there is a sign out front that says, saving grace, a financial course. And he said, I swear, the Holy Spirit told my hands to turn in the driveway and drive up there and go to church, and he did. He followed the sign. He followed the sign on the road and he followed the sign that Jesus was giving in his head and he comes up the road and he comes into worship. He doesn't know anybody and he attends church and he goes to the table that's set up in the back and he signs up for the course. And he does it. He shows up every week to the course. He learns a lot of things that he had never learned before. And he is changed. And he's not just changed because he knows how to, how to manage money. His changed because he opened up his life to what Jesus wanted to do in his life. Jesus wanted him to have the best. Jesus wanted him to be solid in life. It wasn't about helping him become somebody who was really had a whole lot of money. It was about helping him become the best person that he could be. And he, he followed the sign And then he came in and he followed the other signs of Christ. And he became somebody that he never dreamt that he could be. Jesus' revolution. His mission is to stir us up. It is to stir things up. It is to stir up our lives. And sometimes Jesus points us to a personal revolution. The man that you just heard about, he had a personal revolution. He had something in his life that needed to change. Maybe there's an area in your life that you need a personal revolution. You need a way for it to change. Maybe, maybe there is a relationship that you're in. And you need to sign up and go to counseling. And you need to do the really hard things. And it is not easy. Revolution is never easy. Revolution always requires sacrifice and it always requires doing things that we would probably rather not do but we are called to do it because Jesus longs for you to have the best and when you do those things with Jesus Jesus can change your heart but there's a second type of revolution it's a social revolution You know, people in Jesus' time needed change, just as we do. They lived under the hard fist of Roman authority. They were often hungry, overworked, underpaid, under-resourced. Their religion had become heavy with rules and practices based on scarcity and privilege. And they were hungry for a better way, just as we are. Our society needs change and Jesus is calling us to be the change. You know, people in Jesus' time expected the Messiah to tackle the problems of injustice through the systems that were already in the world. They expected the Messiah to come on a horse with armies and spears and to completely take everything over, but that's not the way of Christ. Jesus' approach was one of nonviolent resistance. Through loving, healing, and the inclusion of those who were most impacted. It's not easy to do. People found it hard in Jesus' day, even as we find it hard today. Jesus shows us this different path. When we use Jesus as our model for revolution, we carry hope with us into it. Richard Rohr, who is this wonderful Christian writer, he says this. Read this out loud with me, if you would. The best criticism of the bad is the practice of the better. Don't do what others do. Do what Jesus calls us to do. Be better. This weekend, we celebrate the life of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., he was a leader in a civil rights revolution. It was. It is said that he always assumed he would lose his life for this cause because of his willingness to follow the signs of justice. And yet, he encouraged the civil rights movement to be based upon Jesus' example of nonviolent revolution. He inspired so many people to risk stepping into this persistent practice of change. And one such man that I have been studying lately is James Baldwin. James Baldwin was born in 1924, he was a queer black man in a society that honored neither. He found his voice in writing and authored several novels and essays that influenced the civil rights movement. He was influenced by Dr. King. He was not perfect any more than Dr. King was perfect, but he was passionate about justice and freedom. James Baldwin said the status quo wasn't good enough and he worked to change it, which is, in fact, the definition of revolutionary. King and Baldwin were two of the most important writers, thinkers, and revolutionaries of our time. And they are now rightly regarded as civil rights icons. In 1961, Baldwin published an article about King that helped people understand the challenges that King faced as a leader in this movement. Baldwin named the loneliness King faced to the great sacrifice required to lead the revolution. Nobody else had said that. These two men along with so many others followed Jesus' model. They allowed themselves to be stirred up, to take risks, to make sacrifices so that others might benefit from a better world. This year we're stepping into this challenge of encountering Jesus. There's a sign back here and and you see them all over the place. We want to encounter Jesus so that we can receive the great goodness that Jesus has for us, so that we can be better people, so that we can live into the promise This week, we're particularly talking about serve. How do we serve? How do we encounter Jesus when we serve? We want to be in the community in ways that promote justice and peace. Listen, it doesn't have to be gigantic acts of service. It could be something as simple as um, being kind, as making sure that when you interact with people, your best self is there interacting. It could be as simple as um, reading books to kids at Hutchison Elementary School. It could be more difficult. It could be more complicated. You could go and work in the hypothermia shelter and give some hours of your time. There are so many ways to serve. You You can go to the website and find out more ways, but we are called to serve. One of the signs that Jesus points us to is a life of service. what I encourage you to do tomorrow. There will be all over our TVs tomorrow, all over our computers tomorrow, all over our community tomorrow, there are opportunities to go and experience worship or a speech or an engagement on the life of Dr. Martin Luther King. Become aware of how his words and actions changed a world. So some of you are called to be revolutionary in your personal life. And honestly, friends, that's probably harder than social revolution. When we do personal work, it's, it's hard. Some of you are called to do that personal work. Some of you are called to be revolutionary in your social life. Either is a revolution of love and joy and peace and righteousness. You know, we still talk about Dr. Martin Luther King and James Baldwin, after all these years. Why do we do that? Because they changed the world. Because they followed the signs. They took risks. They embraced love. They found ways to, re- to lead a revolution of love, and their example inspires us to do the same. You know... It all started at Cana of Galilee, at a wedding, a big party. Jesus' mother turns to him and says, hey, Jesus, it's time. And after a small conversation between mother and son, it is time. And he begins this revolution of love that the world had never seen nor could ever imagine. And that revolution goes on and on and on. And it is still going on today. And it will only continue if people like you and I are willing to follow the signs that are put in front of us. Are we willing to take the risk and step in and say and do things that speak of love and justice and peace and freedom? We are the people of Christ. We are the people that want to follow this. We are the people that can go out and change the world and my prayer for you is that you will be those people, that I will be one of those people. You know, one day, one day I hope there'll be a room with people in it and they will be remembering me and I will have gone on to my greater glory and I hope, I hope that somebody says, you know, she was a revolutionary. She followed the signs of Christ and she tried to lead with love. I hope they say that about me and I hope they say that about you. The band is going to come forward. We're going to stand as you're able and we're going to sing together Waymaker. Amen.